Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Push the button, push, push, push the, the button. button. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as we know. <laughs> That's a good song. Push the button oh, and let me know. Welcome to Rage 1997. Rage. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Hi, Kate. <laughs> Hi, Dom. Guess what I am? High on coffin cold meds. Pew, 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 pew. Woo, yay for winter times. Yay, winter time. Ugh, the drugs are good in winter. <clears throat> oh, they are. Dr- <laughs> they are. Particularly, they're seasonal. <laughs> seasonal drugs, particularly good in the winter. Mm. No, I decided that for the first part of my school holidays, which I'm currently on, I thought I'll just spend it in a cocoon on my couch for four days because that's how I really wanted to spend it. Well, it's not a bad thing all in all, but there's things I would have liked to have done that are not that. Now you've had an excuse to take some chill time. So glad you're recovering, Kate. Yes, I'm on the up. I'm on the up and up. But if I do pause and have a coughing fit or anything, just roll with it. Yeah, it's normal, folks. And Mm-hmm. I'm off the back of my first day at my new job, so I've kept that under wraps. Yay! <laughs> you certainly have. I had to like pry it out of you post recording last week. Mm. So yeah, folks, it's been in the works, and I now had my first day. I'm now the diversity and inclusion lead at the Environmental Protection Authority for the state of Victoria. So I'm a government Yay! person now. You are a secret agent. Ooh. Where is the office in the city? Yeah. It's in Carlton. Nice. And have you discovered, and it might be too soon, but I'm always a huge fan of trying to work this out as soon as possible. um, Is there like a sufficient poop toilet? Oh, yes. I have found. I always scan the toilet It's one of the first things. You got to do it. And talk to me about it. Is are we talking ceiling to floor door? Are we talking a speaker in there with some music? Are we talking a singular cubicle? What are we... Talk to me about it. I need to know. Well, because we love to talk about poop on this uh, podcast. We we do. And toilets. But (laughs) because I don't necessarily identify as male and female or either or or neither, I try and find Mm -hmm. the all gender, the unisex, the, you know, whatever, um, however you label it. Um, Yep. Which... And it's a government, you know, regulatory body organization. So they have to have certain minimum standards. So it's one of those separate on its own. I've got heaps of space, privacy, awesome. you know, pretty Yay. stock standard to it, but it's good. Room just to, you know, strip down and spread your legs out and just have a time. Yeah. Cause great. You know, I've got, cause that's a visual that everybody needs. <laughs> And uh, welcome to any of my new colleagues that are welcome, tuning guys. in. Welcome, guys. 
Hi, that was my fault. Dom doesn't really do that. That's what I do. But lucky I don't work for the EPA, just the Department of Education. So <laughs> no problems. All right, Kate, shall we get into a little... Sorry. Housekeeping. Absolutely. I think so. Let's do it. That was lovely. Oh. Yeah, baby. All right, folks. So as per usual... Please go check out all our social media channels, especially Instagram and TikTok at shitting.bricks.podcast. Come say hi. That sounded like a recording. That was so impressive. Oh, God. She, she's working at a job. She's said and, it so many times. <laughs> and my voice <laughs> turns on. Yeah. While you're at it, folks, you should go check out our Patreon account at shitting.bricks.podcast as well. <laughs> I love that. Blue apron. Yes. <laughs> so, Try our recipes today. Yeah. Throw us a few dollars. It keeps the lights on. It keeps Kate and I yeah. trucking along. So, yeah, it goes a really long way. And you get a bunch of free stuff. So, please do. <clears throat> well, that's right. Do it. Do it. Almost to the end, folks. While you're at it, please go check out our entire um, BooPod network, which is a bunch of other podcasts that are similar but different from all over the world that tell amazing tales from the spooky to the bizarre to the scary to the, you know, original stories as well. Some pretty cool stuff. And this week we are featuring Kayla, who is one of the Origidige, I'm pretty sure, one of the Origidige Boopod Network members, and her podcast, Dark Tales from the Road. Duck Tales! Duck Tales! I don't know the words, but that's okay. Duck Tales! Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not. <laughs> Dark tales from the road. That's more correct. spoopy. It's like do 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 do. Dark tales <laughs> from the road. There you go. Well, now you new can... new little snippet. You can have that for free. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> yeah, please. Let's uh, include that as a new um, welcoming song or something. <laughs> can be exactly <laughs> royalties, please. <laughs> yes. But yes, uh, here we go, folks. Have a listen to uh, the Dark Tales from the Road, Kayla's podcast and her little introduction. Here it is. Hey, listeners. My name is Kayla and I am the creator and host of a new podcast called Dark Tales from the Road. We cover true crime, spooky, creepy and ghostly stories. And I want to take you state by state and country by country to bring you stories you may not have even heard of before. And also learn some history on the city and the state where it takes place. So join me on the road as we discover dark tales. New episodes are posted every Wednesday. I have an Instagram, Facebook, and a Patreon, all at Dark Tales from the Road. Thank you so much, and I hope everyone has a great day. All right, Kate. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop. We're back. Hello. Sorry, we're back. And we're back and we're better than ever. We are. Last final thing before we click over into Kate's amazing story time. Um, Whoa. Yeah. This Pressure's year, on. Exactly. But this year we're really, really focused on Ruby and Rarugan Duba. I have been playing Sims, so I actually knew what you just said. Well, I'm glad someone does. 
but this year we're very focused on ratings and reviews. So at the end of this episode, please just go give us the five stars you know we deserve. Uh, it goes a really long way to getting us in front of other new listeners. So that's it. Yes, please do it. And that is the Can end. I actually one more? Yeah. I'm going to housekeep one more thing before we go to my story. I have started a new job this year also, and I had a colleague send me a message on the Instagram and her name is Jess. She gave me permission to share this on socials, which I haven't done yet, but I will. And she went to New Zealand this week because it's school holes, as I mentioned earlier. And she said, so I downloaded a bunch of random episodes of a, of podcasts to listen to on the plane. And I was pretty happy listening to Kenneth Parcell read pet obituaries, but little did I know the only thing I needed in life at 2 a.m. on a plane was to listen to you read a recipe for Spanakopita. <laughs> <laughs> episode number 50 comedy gold exceptional work thank you for your service so that is one of the best reviews i've ever received (laughs) so if you want to listen to dom and i it's like a challenge episode episode 50 highly recommend i do get a lot of comments about that (laughs) yes that would be an amazing public (laughs) review so if you have the yeah. time, go actually write that. We would be ever so grateful I will. because it was. Do you know what? I might even, yeah, I'm just going to do like a, a staff room thing when I get back to school. I'm going to be like, guys, for our meeting tonight, we're all going on to rate and review. But that is awesome. So yeah. thanks, Jess. Thanks, Jess. That's amazing. We're glad we could keep you entertained at 2 a.m. on a plane. Yes, definitely. That's our specialty, actually. And. Funny, we should be mentioning planes. Um, are we we're house kept? Is our house in keeping? We our are kept in house. The house is being kept. Oh, just oh, <laughs> guys, this episode could go anywhere. I don't really know where I am or what I'm doing. So just let let's roll with the punches. If you haven't already noticed, the wheels are absolutely. <laughs> Rumbling at the moment. That's they okay, could just okay. fall off at any given time. We've got the bumper bars on like when you play bowling. We so do. You'll be okay. Yes. Oh, God. Bumper bars. Now, we were talking about planes yes. um, and planes can be noisy. Can they, they not? They sure can. Yeah. Scary so, as well. That brings me into the phobia that I'm going to have a talk about today mm-hmm. with my story. Now, I like to have a chat about a phobia at the start of most of my episodes, um, particularly in recent times. Now, this one, you're going to probably agree, it is thin, 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 wafer thin (laughs) connection to the story. But I like to talk about something, so here we go. In a technologically filled world, noise and stimuli are found everywhere, including on planes. Mm -hmm. You may crave some peace and quiet at the end of the day. For others, though, The quiet can be overwhelming, if not frightening. Yes. Those who suffer from a fear of silence may find more comfort in noise. There could be many causes for this phobia, which is known as sedate phobia. Oh, wow. Sedate phobia. So there you go. So sedate comes from the Greek word sleep and then phobia from the word phobos. So it's the actual fear of silence. Wow. You know, some people could mm. say that you and I have a fear of silence because we just talk so much smack. Correct. Yeah. So maybe we do. Now, keeping sedate phobia in mind, I wanted to 
tell a story today. And if you've clicked on this, you know the name of it. And the name of this episode today is called Omerta. Dom, do you know what Omerta means? I do not know what Omerta means. Well, wow. seeing as we're chatting about, that's, I mean, that's great. That's a good start because I can teach you something today. But Omerta, for those of you that don't know, is the code of silence which the mafia would often stick to. Oh. So anybody who spoke to the police was marked for torture or death and so were their families. I am bringing you into the world of the New York Mafia and I'm going to give you a rundown of their code of silence and then I'm going to tell you a story about what happens um, to what happened in one particular case when, uh, yeah, they kind of got just, it was bad and it was wrapped up and it's a bit scary. So I want to tell that one as well. So code of silence. Yes. To count to countless mafioso, the rule by which they live and died was simple and summed up with a single word, omerta. Whoever appeals to the law against his fellow man is either a fool or a coward. Whoever cannot take care of himself without police protection is both. Oh, wow. That's one of the statements they would make. It's very <laughs> passionate. It is very passionate. The code of silence towards law enforcement forms the bedrock of criminal ethics among the organised crime clans of southern Italy and their offshoots. Under this seemingly ironclad ethos, men of honour, inverted commas, are strictly forbidden to reveal details of the criminal underworld to the state, even if it means that they have to go to prison or the noose themselves. Wow. So, Dom, you've seen movies and TV shows before that feature some kind of mafioso, right? I sure have. It's in my blood. So, yeah. So there's always the rat or the snitch or whatever the case is and, you know, they end up in prison or something bad happens to them even when they're in prison or if they don't go. Yeah, it's just a bad situation that you want to be in. Stitches but all round. Stitches. Snitchies get stitchies every day. Mm -hmm. That's just the credo. So in this respect, though, these were the, uh, you know, real-life organised crime sure. families rather than our, uh, you know, Sopranos and our Corleones and so on and so forth. Yes. So despite its supposed sacredness, the history of Omerta contains countless stories of, vi of its violation as well as its protection. This is how an ancient practice became one of the most infamous features of modern organised crime. Now, exactly when and where Omerta arose is lost in the murky, secretive depths of mafia history. It is possible that it descended from a form of resistance against the Spanish kings who ruled over southern Italy for two centuries. Mm -hmm. More likely, however, it's that it was adopted as a natural consequence of early criminal society's outlawry. Yeah. Outlawry is a tricky word. I had to practice that earlier. Mike I was Lowry. Like, out, out Lowry. <laughs> Mike Lowry. <laughs> out Lowry. Mike Lowry. <laughs> Now, by the beginning of the 19th century, the kingdom of the two Sicilies was crumbling. 
In the ensuing chaos, bands of uh, brigands began to function as private armies for those that could pay. So you've got your soldiers and your people. That's all happening at the beginning of the 19th century. They're like, if you've got the cash monies, we will be soldiers for you. Yeah. Um, This was the birth of the mafia and the dawn of the culture that paid tribute to them. Mm. After northern and southern Italy merged into a single kingdom in the 1860s, the reborn state built a new court system and police forces. When these institutions were extended to the south, organised clans found themselves facing powerful new rivals. In response, the men of honour, inverted commas, adopted a simple, brutal principle. You never talk to the authorities under any circumstances about criminal activities of any kind or committed by anyone, even mortal enemies. Yeah. Zip it. That sentence, that sentence, when I was reading it earlier today, it made me think of uh, um, Michael's speech in The Office where he's like, hang on, I'll find it because I'm not going to do it justice. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'll reread this and then I'll read his. So it says, um, never... Talk to the authorities under any circumstances about criminal activities or any kind of any kind or committed by anyone, even mortal enemies. Michael Scott says, don't ever for any reason do anything to anyone for any reason ever, no matter what, no matter where or who or who you're with or where you're going or where you've been ever for any reason (laughs) whatsoever. So that's Michael Scott's version of a murder. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, now, the penalty for these guys, these men of honour talking to the copperoonies, was death. They'd die. <laughs> yep, they did. Uh, now, how did, I know you've been asking, Dom, you've been thinking this, it's been swilling around in your brain. How did Omerta come to the United States? I guess it was just, you know, migrated across when... Italians and such. Well, came to the, yeah, look, you're pretty close. Um, Under the reunified kingdom of Italy, the southern provinces were still desperately poor. And so lots of the southern province uh, people decided to emigrate in search of prosperity. But along with many of the peaceful, law-abiding folk who travelled abroad came the men of honour. Mm-hmm. In many North American cities, Italian immigrants were only grudgingly accepted. Um, Racism was real. Uh, And many felt that they couldn't count on local police or governments to represent or protect them. I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst what we're talking about is, and the story I tell later, horrendous, but you're coming into a different country in hopes of not being poor and in a, you know, you want some... Uh, happiness and joy and success in your life, how could you trust the cops and the, you know, people that live there when they were just, they were racist and they would have been really awful? Yeah, especially America. You think about what America was really selling or what it was really known for, land of opportunity, land of freedom, land land of capitalism and da-da-da-da-da. Here's people that are trying to make something of themselves, make a change and almost... Anything goes in terms of the world of business, but then, yes, as you said, people are persecuted for any number of things. 
why why yeah, are we exactly. surprised just like religion was necessary for people to survive of course certain groups with certain yeah, exactly backgrounds right. and and certain ways of surviving are going to continue they're going to make it work for them yeah that's right now for um the poor neighborhoods that a lot of these immigrants uh lived in they became really um you know they were quite that's where the new mafia clans started to to come together. Yeah. So these, it's not new for these guys. They've come over. These are men of honor from Sicily. They're like, we're coming over and, well, this is what we know how to do. And we're meeting other guys that also know how to do this. So we're going to be mafia clans. Um, the communities from which they arose uh, and on which they prayed uh, cooperated with the Code of Omerta, often as a matter of pride. So that's one of the common threads throughout this as well is that a lot of the times you know, they're like, nah, I'm never, not me. I'm never going to say anything to anyone. And then it turns out like everybody was talking to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like such a strange uh, code. It was kind of, it's kind of almost like a gossipy type thing, you know, <laughs> where they're, they're like, oh, nah, I'm not going to tell them that. No problems. Like, nah, that's fine. And then they just like, peace, 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 peace. oh my God, you won't believe who killed who. Oh, and uh, they break it anyway. I can just imagine all these Italian, you know, mafia (laughs) bosses getting their nails done or their hair did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Now, for nearly 100 years, the American mafia was a closed book to police. So they did a pretty good job for 100 years. Now, who could never, the police could never manage to coerce or convince mobsters to give them a look into the secretive families until 1963. Do you know what happened in 1963, Dom? Um, no, I really don't. I wasn't there. That's okay. No, me either. Um, but here I am to tell you, Joseph Valachi happened. Okay. Now Joseph Valachi, he was a mafioso almost from childhood. Um, he eventually became a trusted soldier for the mob boss, Vito Genovese or Genovese. However, is it Genovese? 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 Genovese clan or fam. Genovese. Yeah. So this is probably a good time to mention when it comes to the New York mafia, um, there were, some people might've heard of the term, the five families, um, but Genovese was one of them, Genovese. There's also Gambino, Lucchese, Bonanno and Colombo. That's your type five. Big five. Big five. Uh, So um, Joseph Falacci, he's a mob boss for, sorry, he's a soldier for the mob boss Vito Genovese. Uh, but in 1959, he and Genovese were convicted of narcotics trafficking, an increasingly common mob earner at the time as Genovese, um, as was Genovese after the chaotic Appalachian meeting, Appalachian meeting. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I did that right. You got it. Um, so, yeah, so basically at that meeting, a whole bunch of ways that they were already making money was stopped and and killed off. And so they were struggling to find ways to make money. So drug trafficking became one of them. Mm-hmm. That's what that is about. Now, while imprisoned in 1962, Valachi killed a man that he believed to have been an assassin sent by Genovese to escape the death penalty. He did what he had to do, had until then been unthinkable. He had to testify before the Senate. So Valachi's like, hang on a minute. I'm working for you, Genovese. Why are you sending someone to come and kill me? That doesn't seem very fair or nice. So he's like, well, then what I'm going to do is I'll testify before the Senate. 
which nobody had done. Um, they've been pretty good at keeping their secrets. Now, in a series of televised appearances, Valachi introduced the American public to what had long been secrets known only to the mafia and the Italian-American community. He revealed that the organization he belonged to called itself Cosa Nostra, our thing. So that's, yeah, that Cosa Nostra too from um, the like Sicilian mafia. So yeah. that's their, their family name code thing. Now, Valachi told the Senate committee that families had a paramilitary structure and they had influence at every level of society and that a blood oath of silence bound each fully initiated made man. Mm. That code was called omerta, he said, and he was violating it. <sighs> so imagine getting up there and being like, guys, what I'm doing right now is actually called this and I'm breaking it. And like, this is mad. Like, this is like crazy. No cap. It is, it is blowing the <laughs> lid off a very secret yeah. part of a culture, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, exactly. Now, Joseph Valachi's testimony heralded, heralded the dawn of a new era in American anti-mafia efforts. With the breaking of Omerta, more and more mafiosi uh, would step forward in the years to come as federal law enforcement officials steadily hemmed in the power of the criminal families. So that would have been like the damn war breaking because one guy gets up at televised appearances in front of the Senate. There would have been lots of other made men or, you know, men of honour that are like, oh, like I can't do this anymore. This is an opportunity. Or maybe, yeah, there was opportunities for the FBI as well, for mm -hmm. sure. Now, across the Atlantic, Whish. Italian crime families remain silent. The Sicilian Mafia, the Calabrian Drangheta and the Companion Camorra all held far more power in their respective territories than the Americans. And they seemed to be able to kill and extort indiscriminately and with impunity as Italian politicians and police stood by. Yeah. So they were like, nah, we've still got this unlocked, so we're just going to do whatever we want, whenever we want, no one will do anything about it. Thanks. Different uh, systems, however, not, different resources, yeah. different everything. Correct, yeah. Now, however, not all public officials were complacent or complicit and not all Italian gangsters were so committed to a murder as might the have the public believe. Judges Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino hadn't set out to bring down organised crime. However, in the course of their work, they became aware of the Sicilian Mafia's true power, wealth and extreme violence and cruelty. In the years-long crusade that followed, they put hundreds of mafiosi behind bars. Mm. But their biggest break came when Tommaso Busetta, or Buschetta, B-U-S-C-E-T-T-A, Buschetta? Yeah, Buschetta. Buschetta, a high-ranking mobster, agreed to testify after a particularly vicious mafia clan started targeting his family, systematically wiping them out, inverted commas. Wow. So Tommaso, he's cross. He's like, I have had enough of you systematically going through my nieces, my nephews, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends, my this, my that. So I'm going to testify because I need you to stop that. Yeah. In 1982, mafia hitmen murdered two of his sons, his brother, 
a brother-in-law, a son-in-law, four nephews, and numerous friends and allies. Ugh. He broke Omerta the following year. I would too. Yeah. I would have probably broke it at the two sons. But he had a brother and a brother-in-law, <laughs> son-in-law, four nephews and numerous friends and allies. He's just like, maybe this is not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Something's up, folks. <laughs> so hang on a second. Guys, has anybody seen three of my four nephews um i swear to god oh no that four has anyone seen four of my nephews this is weird um now in an unprecedented testimony Puskera revealed a trove of mob secrets to falcone borsellino and other prosecutors they knew the risks Puskera, Puskera, Puskera. what do I, how do i say it you were saying it right Busqueta. Busqueda? Okay. Now he warned them um, that first they'll try to kill me and then it'll be your turn. They'll keep trying until they succeed. And sure enough, both Falcone and Borsellino were killed in separate bombings in 1992. Yeah. That's the Damn. thing, the, the, the links that they would go to. like, Oh, and just no worries about it at all. Yeah. They're like, nah, okay, cool, yeah. Oh, if I've got to go kill that person, no, no worries, thanks. Now, on both sides of the Atlantic now, so we've had Valachi in the States, Buscana over in um, Italy, all of the damage has now been done. So Buscana's testimony dealt a severe blow to the Sicilian families. In the United States, Lucchese family associate Henry Hill's testimony led to dozens of convictions. The final nail in the coffin for Omerta, at least as far as the authorities and the public were concerned, came in 1991. In November of that year, Gambino family underboss, Salvatore Sammy the Bull Gravano, <laughs> right, oh God. right hand man to John the Teflon Don Gotti, <laughs> agreed to turn state's evidence. <laughs> the information he gave federal investigators put a definitive end to the mafia's last era of public celebrity and showed that Omerta was only the law for mobsters so long as it was convenient to them. Yeah. Now, Dom, before I go to my next story, which is a grim example of Omerta, if you were in the mafia, what, what would your nickname be, please? <laughs> so I can put it in inverted commas for our title this week. I have used this previously. <clears throat> okay. Because I feel like we might have asked this question before because it's not like an uncommon <laughs> an uncommon thing. I don't think it's been on the on this on the podcast, but it's I've I've used it ever since I was in high school because it's just Okay. It's it's a pun. It's an inside joke. It's and it might be a bit geographical here because of what it references, but I'm not good with geography. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> We've been through this. All right, what is it? What's it going to be? So I would obviously ever so slightly change my last name just because Taranto is pretty generic. So it would be is Dom is good Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is good. Is Dom? That's is what it'd be. So you'd walk in. And it'd be like, it's good. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. It doesn't, hey. not scary, but it's funny. No. Yeah. But that's like, it's, yeah, for any of them where they're just, yeah, they're like, this guy's name's Chops because 
he once ate some chops at a family dinner. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it just sticks. I don't know who comes up with them, but I love it. Um, I would probably, it'd have to be something to do with me talking a lot. <laughs> like if it's chatterbox or if it's, you know. Loose um, lips, Kate. <gasps> marbles. Marbles. My, it'd be Kate Marbles Wilco because I could talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> I was always told that as a kid. <laughs> marbles. That's a great nickname. Yeah. I love that because you always want to where it's not something that's immediately recognizable. So if you were just like, um, if nobody knew who your, what your name was and I'm like, this is, is good. And they're like, is good. I'm like, is dumb, is good. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. But marbles is great because it could be like, oh, you don't want to mess with marbles. Oh, why is yeah, that? Yeah, like as in I've lost my marbles yep. or, yeah. Do you kill or people? I killed someone with a sack of marbles. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear her coming, just, chink, chink, chink. Yeah. <laughs> I just got a sock full of marbles. That's my MO. Ring, ring, ring. <laughs> it's deadly. Oh, it is deadly. Um, marbles. I love it. All right. Now that we've uh, elevated this pod into some humor and lightheartedness, let me take a moment to bring us all right down uh, into the dumps and into a really depressing story about Giuseppe Di Matteo. Now, Giuseppe. He was just a child when the Sicilian mafia kidnapped him in 1993. The Cosa Nostra members, disguised as police, told the 12-year-old that they would take him to see his father, Santino Di Matteo. Now, Santino was a mafia turncoat. At the time, Santino was being held in police protection since he had agreed to testify against his former associates. Mm. The disguised mafia members were led by Giovanni Brusca, known as the slaughterer, the executioner, and even the pig for killing as many as 200 people. I can, can I just say I would probably prefer marbles to come and pick me up than the slaughterer or the executioner. Or the pig. <laughs> or the pig. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, also with Giovanni Brusca was notorious mafia boss Salvatore Toto Rina. Uh, the kidnappers then, ooh, this is bad, then tortured Giuseppe Di Matteo for nearly 800 days between 1993 and 1996. How do you survive 800 days of torture? Right. Now, Ugh. why did they do this is the question you might be asking. Now, at first, the mafia's main goal was to get Santino to back off and stop helping the police. Yeah. So the former mobster had been arrested for taking part in the murder of anti-mafia judge Giovanni Falcone. So he's part of this, um, that, you know, sort of conspiracy that Giovanni Falcone was putting too much of a dent into what was going on. So see you later. Yeah. Now, following his arrest, Santino agreed to assist the police in their investigation by revealing all the details of the assassination and testifying against the mafia in Falcone's case. Mm -hmm. He was the first involved in Falcone's murder to do so. So he's really kind of stepping up here and it's a huge risk naturally. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, something about it where he was like, no, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to tell you all exactly what happened and the bomb that killed him and where it was. 
Now, sadly, though, Giuseppe Di Matteo's kidnapping was an attempt to intimidate his father into retracting the testimony given in his deposition. Mm. And the mafia members showed the helpless child no mercy. The boy was kept in a cage. He was beaten. He was underfed. And the kidnappers even sent Santino photos of his battered son during the torture. Now, Santino desperately tried to negotiate with them in order to save his child, but to no avail. Of course. So imagine, like, the torment. And I know that there's so many, like, I thought straight away when I was going through this um, story before reading it today, um, I was like, why would you not just retract your testimony? Like that just straight away, just like, nah, you know, retract your testimony. But it's like, it's rock and a hard place no matter what. Because the fact that he was even there in the first place and that they've kidnapped his son, it doesn't matter. I don't think it would matter what he does. I don't know. It just makes me feel I think it's it w- a lose-lose. I think if you, that's the problem. You, in that situation, you have to pick a side that's going to protect you. And if you've already burnt the bridge of one side you just have to commit to the other side in order to survive if he yeah. if he retracted his statement then not only would the police and state not protect him he'd then be left at the mercy of the people he was just testifying against which he would know are going to kill him so yeah damned if you do or damned if you don't at damned least if, don't. if he right. if he stick, stuck to his testimony he would, I'm sure the police were going to give him everything and anything he was asking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know. it's a survival thing. It's a horrible situation to be in as a human. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I What I'm and curious little... about is if they're being, if he's being sent proof of torture of his child, why yeah, the police how, not? How are they not giving it to the police? Yeah. I know. Yeah. 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 And I think ultimately that was part of, and I don't have a lot of information on that. There's not a heap of detail in this particular article. I'm sure I can find some additional um, information, but at the same time, they would have their main focus where it would almost just be like a, you know, one sacrificed for the many because it's such a deep web of like, yeah, a deep web of uh, crime. Like it's just, yeah, everything. All right, now, um, after 779 days, uh, I mean, Santino's legally binding um, deposition, it's still on the books, okay? Uh, Now, Bruska was like, it's been 779 days, the deposition's still on the books, uh, so I think it's time now and to get rid of the puppy inverted comments. So the order was given to get rid of Giuseppe. Now the mobsters, they strangled him to death, the boy. Now he was just so weak and exhausted. Like they kept him in a cage and he had not eaten in three years. Um, He didn't even try to resist them. And at that point, I don't think I would either. I'd be like, go for it. I'm absolutely cooked with all of this garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another, you know, particularly awful side of these, mafioso uh creeps is that afterwards after they'd strangled him they dissolved his body in acid to ensure that a corpse would never be found now this practice was often called lupara bianca 
That was something that they would say in terms of getting rid of a body that can never be found yeah. again. Now, Lupara Bianca, as a direct translation, is white shotgun, mm. uh, and apparently that has a lot of links and ties to the Sicilian mafia where that would be a weapon that they would use, a white shotgun or a, a shorn-off shotgun, sawn-off shotgun, like yeah. that was their, their thing. So, yeah, that's the brutal mafia tradition of, um, of Lupara Bianca. Now, the, there's two reasons that they do that. One, destroy evidence, naturally. Uh, but the other one, which is not very kind, is to prevent fam- families from ever having a burial. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these families, um, Catholicism is a huge part of their, you know, um, tr- like their culture, their traditions, and that is something that they would want to do is to bury and mourn and have somewhere where the body is. Yeah. But they wouldn't let that happen because they're cruel motherfuckers. <laughs> Now, what happened? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to lighten it up a bit. It's fucking heavy. It's heavy. <laughs> now, what happened after Giuseppe de Pia, Di Matteo's death? Now, Giovanni Brusca was finally arrested in May 1996 after being convicted the previous year in absentia for detonating the car bomb that killed Falcone, the judge from earlier yes. that died. Now, he's currently serving multiple life sentences. Um, which is good. Good for him. Not surprising. I'm for, sure there was many other surprising. things that he was committed. I reckon there would have been more that he didn't just detonate a bomb. Maybe they could do something about like all of the pictures that he sent of a boy he was holding captive. <laughs> and then, yeah. Yeah. Um, now for his cooperation, Giuseppe Di Matteo's father, Santino, he was released from prison early in March, 2002. Now, while many people warned him that he was a dead man walking for betraying the mafia, he refused to go into hiding. He's like, we've paid too much, leave us in peace. And that's something that Santino's wife had said. She's like, nah, we've like gone through enough. Just leave us alone. Um, now, the she also said in this newspaper article in 2002 that the magistrates told us that things have changed, so why can't they be changed for us too? Why can't we live like everyone else? Rather than going on the run, Santino decided to simply return to his wife in his home just south of Palermo, the capital of Sicily. Mm-hmm. In a recent interview, and let me tell you what, um, how recent that is. I don't have the date right here because I want to know. Yeah. A recent interview, 2018. Not too far. That's recent. Yeah, five years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Santino said that he would never forgive himself for what happened to his son. And I find this really fascinating here too. He says, I think about it every single day. How can there be people that are so evil to treat a child this way? Now, I always thought that Giuseppe was going to be out of the mafia circle. He loved animals and he always wanted to be a vet. That was his real passion. But after his son was kidnapped, Santino knew that deep down that the boy would never come home again. Yeah. He said when people get involved in stuff like this, it's most likely that they're never coming back. So I feel like he knew it was just that, yeah, shitty situation all around. You almost don't want to dig deeper and, I mean, look, no no one here can sit and judge what a father and mother have been through, especially with their child and, like, some people would have, yeah. you know, wouldn't have given up and kept going and going and going, but you can't blame someone to just be like, yeah, nah. Agreed. Uh, Better not um, knowing now, almost. 
Yeah, exactly right. Um, in 2018, as I mentioned now, more than two decades after Giuseppe's death, a court in Sicily ruled that Giuseppe, um, Giuseppe's family would receive 2.2 million euros, 2.2 million euro. Yeah. In damages. Um, now apparently the money was going to come from the Italian government's fund to set up and compensate victims of the mafia. So they actually had a, you know, a fund set up for things like this. Giuseppe Di Matteo's death sent shockwaves throughout Italy, especially since the child was so young when he was murdered. It went against what many believe should or believe to have been the mafia's code, which is the code of honor that women and children should never be harmed. Yeah. Despite this common myth, which I actually thought was a thing as well, where it was like women and children are off limits. Um, despite that, like the mafia's victims have indeed included women and children. And sadly, Giuseppe was one of them. But that was a a myth. They that's not a thing. They would kill whoever they felt like whenever they wanted. Ugh. And took a long time and a lot of brave people to try to stop that kind of criminal behavior. Absolutely. I mean, I yeah, Ugh, it's it's a messy. Yeah, it's and gross. it is it, it is very much um <clears throat> what's the word like romanticized? The idea yes, of... Yes, 100%. You know, Of mafia. the mafia and the American mafia and the, hey, bada bing, bada boom, yeah. and the, you know, pop culture references and things like that. Absolutely. So I, and I'm, I for one, love that... Genre? Um, genre. Yeah, I do. I love that genre. It's one of my absolute most favourite things of all time. Um, but that doesn't go to say that I condone any of this, which I thought was interesting when I was reading through a lot of that. I was like, how can I like any of that that's foul like it's you know when it comes to the movies you're like oh it's so cool he you know got him and put the concrete boots on him and then you're like yeah but that happened to real people it's with any any of these sorts of it's the same with irish japanese anywhere where there's sort, yeah. of, sort of an underground resistancy rebellious whatever it's very easy to focus in on the codes and conducts and the the robin hood element of um, yep. trying to do right by people and freedom and things like that. There's there's obviously there's some honourable aspects that can be exploited and featured, but yeah. you kind of got to get the full picture. And then when you hear that the level of, yeah, horror that they genuinely yep. imposed upon people and their victims, it's pretty widespread and it ain't pretty and it's definitely, you know, Correct. Dickie. Yep. Now, I wanted to, before um, I go into my pop culture reference for the week, <laughs> I'm going to tell you um, whether or not Santino Di Matteo is still alive, in which case I would need to find the link that I cannot find, <laughs> but it appears. Maybe he's listening. <laughs> my super quick, I yeah, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. We should we could, she could just go over to Sicily impressive. and just have a chat. Okay, yeah. I might just give him a call. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I believe he's still alive. Yeah, there's literally pictures from January 17th this year. Yeah, there you go. Huh. I find that very impressive. He's like, nah, there's enough. I've had enough. I'm just going home to my wife, like yeah. after I've testified and all this stuff's happened and my son's been dipped in acid. Um yeah, so there you go. All right, pop culture. 
Let's this, have it, Kate. Dominic, <laughs> this is a hill I am going to die on. This is the last flag I'll ever plant as my, my final breath escapes from my body and I'm laying on this hill, whatever hill it is, wherever it might be, <laughs> that The Sopranos is the best television series of all time. Full stop, period, goodbye, thank you, no further comments. I'm not taking feedback at this time. Please hang up your phone, close the door on your way out. <laughs> Shitting bricks is done. <laughs> <laughs> and I found an excellent article by uh, author John J. Lee from a website called Urban Pitch, and I'm going to give you a quick rundown as to why it is the greatest series of television of all time. Um, so you can agree, you can agree to disagree, you can disagree. It doesn't bother me because this is my, this is it. This is my soapbox. I'm here for it. It won't change. So, exactly right. Um, Realising too how potentially tone deaf this is that I've just talked about <laughs> how horrendous the mafia is and how we touched on wowee boy oh boy, like that's foul. This is fiction. We're separating art from reality. We're talking about fiction and I'm talking about things in a way as to why it makes it the greatest show. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock, The Sopranos premiered in 1999, mm -hmm. so a long time ago. Now, it ran for six seasons. It had 86 episodes. Now, not only was this show groundbreaking because it actually changed the rules of storytelling at the time, um, this was like one of the first small screen dramas yeah. that was essentially like a film every episode. It was like a feature film every episode. Now, the, the Sopranos walked so every single other show on this planet could run. Like they, but they, they started running as well. They're like, well, we'll run first. And then everybody else just needs to keep the fuck up with us. Cause we're incredible. Um, now few of the reasons why John J. Lee, um, thinks that this is amazing. And I agree. Fascinating lead characters. Number one, amazing characters, Tony Soprano being one of them played by James Gandolfini did an incredible job. Um, there's just, there's too many to mention. So I'm not even going to go off on a tangent. Compelling storylines. Mm -hmm. Now, basically, every episode can be watched from start to finish, but you could also just pick up a random episode and be like, boom, I love this episode. Yeah. This is a really good one. Um, so that means that their storylines are great because if you've seen it and kind of get an understanding of who people are at the beginning, then that's good. Outstanding performances. Yes, John J. Lee, they were outstanding performances. Here's a rundown numbers-wise that explains this also. It goes without saying that The Sopranos was universally noted for its outstanding performances. As a series, it was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series seven times. Mm -hmm. So that's every single year that it was eligible, it was nominated. It won twice. Now, only for seven years, they won twice. Yeah. Like, that's phenomenal. Um, overall, the show won 21 primetime Emmys in 111 nominations. That's pretty good. But they got 111 nominations. Ridiculous. It also won five Golden Globe Awards in 23 nominations during its seven-year run, seven run um, including a win for Best Drama Series. Yeah. I think every single actor won an award for that show along the period of time. Yeah. And it was just... It's still one of those shows, like I've seen it through 
three times, four times now, I think four times from start, start to finish. Um, and it's still the best show I've ever seen. And again, I will not be taking notes at this time (laughs) or questions. Thank you for joining the end. (laughs) Can I make one little comment? Yeah, of course. (laughs) I was a latecomer to The Sopranos, but I watched it with Glyn the first time around and we were absolutely hooked and agreed that it was a calibre of television craftsmanship, craftspersonship that had never been Mm -hmm. really attempted before and it was just before like Deadwood and other sort of high-scale budget things were done. Yeah. But... What a time to be alive when the Sopranos and the West Wing were on prime time at the same time. Absolutely. But like, I, this is my jam. I do want to just point one thing out. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's not to discredit. Lizzie, Lizzie, get the acid barrel ready. Liz. Here we too go. Soon? I might get a knock on the door, but. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Please go ahead. In my diversity and inclusion hat on. And as yes. two very, very white people <clears throat> telling the story Correct. and commenting on this, there was a TV show that really speaks to the sort of systematic racism and, and suppression of certain cultures and talent and skill <clears throat> that still is rife today. But The Wire, the TV show The Wire, I believe was around before The Sopranos and it was very much about, uh, you know, African-American community and it is also almost, I I believe it's considered the best television show as well. But I just want, but yeah, I kind of wanted to point out the fact that that never got as much airtime, commercial airtime or nominations or anything. And if no one has seen The Wire. I haven't. I would highly recommend watching it because it reminded me, it's very different storylines and things like that, but the the calibre of acting, performances, writing, everything, is that the same if not better? I can't say it's better because Kate would absolutely kill me. (laughs) You're allowed to say that. No, that's fine. You can have um, uh, opinions. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it's got the wire was two thousand and two, just out of ah. out of. Um, so I feel as though it was a bad time, because you've got like, yeah, the Sopranos at a time of they were probably what at ninety nine, two thousand one, season four, which is arguably one of their best seasons. Yeah, but I hear I absolutely hear what you're saying. I haven't seen the wire, so I can't talk to that. But you're saying there's a chance it could knock the Sopranos off the top rung. Look, it's different. It means different things for different cultures. But The Wire was absolutely groundbreaking. And if you spend any time reading up on reviews and things, people just say it is an absolute game changer. And just sadly, the representation and the and the the attention that's granted to that particular community and that particular show is definitely yeah. unequal to. Something like The Sopranos. So, yeah. yeah. Well, The Wire has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's got 9.3 out of 10 yeah. on IMDb and an audience average rating of 4.8 stars out of 5. 
So you would enjoy it, Kate. I know you really right. well, and yes. I reckon you would really, really, really enjoy it as from an artistic back perspective. So go check that I out. I remember as hearing well. about it one time. Yeah, well, not one time, many times, but back when it was on, I would. I reckon I would have been like, yeah, that's a show for me. Um, but I still, to this day, I'm saying that The Sopranos until I see something else. Better Call Saul came very close. Oh, wow. Very, very close. Um, but ultimately, I need to take time after I watch a series to sit back and go, is it just because I'm obsessed with this at the moment? Like, is this my flavor of the month? Is this the boy toy yeah. that I'm obsessed with at the moment? No, I really need to sit back and go, no, it is in fact my husband I'm in love with, okay. not the young male man with the tight shorts. Um <laughs> Which happens. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. You kind of got a, a, oh an God, extra in-depth sort of, you know, you pop did. culture for yeah. free. Normally we save this for Patreon, but we've just, we've impassioned, we've got an impassioned we, yes. field and vibe. to be honest, I could do it, yeah, we could do a separate podcast on The Sopranos for, for yeah, and the, probably The Wire and every other show, A Better Call Saul. God. <laughs> I watched an interesting movie, actually, which I want to talk to you about as well. But sign up to the Patreon. Maybe you'll hear about it. Oh, oh what a sneak peek. Well, thank you, Kate. <laughs> that was you. epic. Um, I've, I'm very interested in this topic. It is definitely yeah. scary. And it does have a link back to that fo- sort of like type of phobia. I know it's way Yeah, thin, that's right. It was good. very Wefferth. It's a Wefferth in peace. But <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I was just trying to find something. Having said that, uh, it's this so, I found it really challenging today to come up with a story that was, you know, essentially about the mafia, essentially about, you know, that, that sort of that part of the world. And that's something that I've been really into pop culture wise because Firstly, everybody's done them. Everybody's told every story. Um, but secondly, what's kind of the catch? What's the the interesting part? So I found it really difficult because there's so much. Um, but that was just scratching the surface. So I reckon for my next episode, I might even stay on the same track potentially. But if I get overwhelmed again, I'm going to divert onto another track, maybe leave that station entirely and fly to a different country and pick something else. Absolutely. And folks, next week I'll be telling a story of probably one of the top five biggest phobias ever recorded. I can't wait. Consistently recorded. I can't wait. So buckle up for that one. It's it's quite um, confronting to certain people. Yeah. I'm not, I'm looking forward to it, but not looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go now. Um, thanks for thanks for coming, Dom. <laughs> I'm glad you turned up. <laughs> thanks for having me. And, and remember, <laughs> say nothing to anyone ever about anything. About anything. To anyone, anywhere, ever. Whatsoever. <laughs> Except about Bye, Shining Bye, everyone. <laughs> Five stars. Love you. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.